You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? This is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us on an all-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. Welcome to the show, everyone. You really picked an amazing episode to tune into with a really phenomenal individual nonetheless, and we are talking about a characteristic that we all need to embody and exemplify in our day-to-day life that is going to help us in achieving our utmost and greatest potential. Now, I'm serious. That sounds really big and really massive, and I promise you it is, but luckily, Luckily, today's guest is breaking it down for us very simply, and she does so in her new book as well. So today we are joined by Laura Huang, who is a professor at Harvard Business School, which I jokingly say, this is the closest I have ever been to Harvard, by the way. She spent her academic career studying interpersonal relationships and implicit bias in entrepreneurship and in the workplace. Her research has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, USA Today, and Forbes, just to name a few, and she was recently named one of the 40 best business school professors under the age of 40 by poets and quants. Previously, she has held positions in investment banking, consulting, and management for organizations such as Standard Chartered Bank, IBM Global Services, and Johnson & Johnson. So she's bringing a rather unique and vast perspective to today's episode for all of you that are tuned in. And hey, just a fun fact while we're at it, she attended high school with Gary Vaynerchuk, which you'll hear about in this episode as well. Little fun fact, just to throw it out there. And seriously, when I tell you that we are diving into a topic, and I might as well give it to you because you're already this far into the episode, we are diving into what is called edge. And when you have edge, when you embody that, when you exemplify that in your day-to-day life, you are able to overcome the adversities that are thrown your way. Now, hey, you could be born into adversity or maybe you put yourself in it by going through life and chasing your dreams. At some point, you're going to face it and being able to overcome it is exactly what we are discussing today. I'm going to ask you this in advance if, or maybe I should say when you find this content that Laura and I are bringing to the table here on this episode, when you find this to be of value, it would mean the absolute world to us if you could share it with your crew, your circle, your top five, your top eight on MySpace, your mastermind groups, your coworkers, your friends, your family. Spread the knowledge. There's no greater gift than spreading knowledge. I promise you that you're going to feel so fulfilled when they find it of value and then it just becomes a compound effect. So make sure you're shooting this out. And hey, if you are tuned in from iTunes or Apple or wherever you want to call it, you know, if you are tuned in from one of those platforms, it would mean the absolute world to us as well if you could drop a rating and review. I'm not telling you to leave five stars, but we absolutely love your genuine feedback on our request to continuously provide our audience exactly what they are looking for and exactly what they need to be able to crack the code to their success. So now, without further ado, we bring to you our friend, Laura Huang. Laura, first and foremost, super excited to have you as one of our first guests of 2020. And I will throw this out there after I felt your energy. I already knew the vibe of what we were getting into today. And I will say this is probably the closest I will ever be to Harvard, thanks to you. So I do want to say thank you and welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much. And oh my gosh, you're you're totally welcome. Come sit in on a class of mine sometime or come visit. You can get lots, lots more, lots closer. But, you know, so nice to be. I didn't know I was one of your first guests of 2020. So that's a nice, pleasant surprise. Yes, yes. We are kicking it off with some amazing individuals, one of them being you. And I'm really excited for this. So first question for you straight off the bat is how do you personally define success? Yeah, I mean, you know, success is is so it's like one of those constructs that is is different for different people, right? So when we talk about like you can have success, it's it's really requires embracing who you really are and all the varied and complicated pieces of yourself. Um, it has changed for me over time, to be honest. Um, how I defined success early on was sort of, you know, was I um, was I was I feeling challenged? Was I intellectually stimulated? Was I with people that I um, enjoyed being around? Um, and I think those those things still apply to to my definition of success now. But I think it just has gotten more nuanced and a little bit, you know, an extra layer, which is that I feel like you know. 
in my earlier, you know, when I was younger, it was about like, go, go, go. And I think recently it's been much more of like a meditative, um, still wanting to be challenged and stimulated and being with people, but in a, in a, in a more sort of relaxed and more understanding it from the inside as well. I don't know if that makes sense, but it's just more of this reflective type of success rather than um, an outcome or a, you know, externally driven definition of success. Right. I was just going to ask that when you said reflective, I was going to ask if it was more internal versus external. But before diving into that, I want to back up. You mentioned something along the lines of embracing who you really are. So I want to touch on that because this is essentially how the show came about, right? Because society oftentimes deems what success is for us, whether that's, you know, um, being a flashy quote unquote entrepreneur who's in Miami with a Lamborghini or, you know, taking that trip to Dubai and posting a picture of a golden burger, Uh, you know, like the list really goes on. So what is your advice for actually embracing who you are versus what society wants you to uh, essentially deem successful. Yeah, there's so many interesting pieces to what you're saying there, right? Because one one thing you're saying which resonates I think with a lot of people is that, you know, we sort of intuitively know what makes us happy and what makes us feel um content and successful. But at the same time because we're in this very socially embedded society, we're almost like unsure about that, or we don't always, we're not always putting that at the forefront because we're seeing all of these other options. And especially when people are really smart and have lots of opportunities, it's like, oh, that person is doing that. I could be doing that, or that person's doing this, or they've achieved that. And we kind of see all of these different outcomes and all of these different possibilities that makes us sort of second guess or almost tweaks that definition of success that we've made for ourselves or who we are. And it changes who we are. So the second piece of that, um, something that I think a lot about is, you know, I'm, I, we're constantly hearing people give advice like, you know, be yourself. This advice to be yourself. If you're going on a job interview, just be yourself. Or if you're giving, you know, some big pitch, to um, a venture capitalist, just be yourself. They'll see. Or you're going on a date, you know, just be yourself. And the th- the problem with that is that there's so many versions of ourself, and being yourself requires embracing what I was saying. You know, it requires embracing all these varied and complicated pieces of yourself. So it's it's sort of like be yourselves, right? It's. I always give this analogy of a diamond, right? Like if you think about a diamond and you think about, you know, one solitary diamond, that's, it's like one person, right? But if you look at the diamond, it has so many different angles to it. And if you look at it at a different angle, it's going to shine differently. Or if you look at at it under one type of light versus another type of light or in one type of room or one type of context or in one type of environment, it's all going to shine differently based on where you are, the angle that you're looking at it, um, all of these different factors. And that's what like be yourself means to me sometimes because, and that's how I think about it because we're a diamond. We are ourselves, but you can look at it and you can present so many different angles and so many different forms of yourself that shine brightly in different ways. So it's very complicated, I think, for, for us, especially when we're trying to navigate this very complex terrain of being with all of these other people and seeing their strengths and weaknesses um, vis-a-vis our own strengths and weaknesses. That's amazing. And I I love the fact that you essentially compared us to diamonds, right? We We are literally all diamonds. I love that. Now, getting back to what you said in regards to how you define success today, more so on that reflective standpoint, from an internal versus external perspective, what do you feel like contributed to you getting to that point? I think, I mean, it's still, it's still an evolution, right? I think we're all, we're all sort of still trying to get to that point, right? But there's not really an end point, but I think, you know, it it comes with, um, you know, one thing that it comes with, you're probably not expecting this, but it comes with a lot of embarrassment, right? As you, the more you sort of put yourself out there and embarrass yourself, the more you learn what 
works for you, what doesn't work for you, the things that you care about, the things that you don't. Um, it's really sort of trying and putting yourself in different situations, letting other people see those different parts of yourself. I mean, I think that's one. It's, uh, I always say, you know, you know, or I often say to people, everyone, it, it, this is something that you can learn. Everyone can learn this, but not everyone is willing to. Not everyone is willing to learn how to get them to where they need to be because it, in, it in, encompasses putting yourself out there and opening yourself up to that embarrassment. But you sort of need that. Like that's a requisite for, for having that self-awareness and having that awareness of how other people see you and being able to create those circumstances that do give you an, advant- an advantage so that you can succeed in both business and in life. Um, when you put yourself out there and open yourself up to potential embarrassment, that's when you open yourself up to learning and learning what it means to be able to take your strengths and your weaknesses um, so, so that you can succeed and achieve whatever that definition of success is for you. So let me ask you, when you mention embarrassment, I mean, is it really embarrassment or is it just a quote unquote lack of development in a sense, right? Like when I look back and I mean, we could all do this when we look back five years, 10 years, 15 years on our lives, like I'm not necessarily quote unquote, I don't feel like I was ever embarrassed. I just maybe was just not as developed as I would have liked or, or something along those lines. I would love to, to know your thoughts. Yeah. On that. I mean, for sure. Some of it, can be chalked up to inexperience, right? That, that lack of development, that inexperience, that's just, that's a reality, right? We learn because we we were inexperienced. We gain that experience, that inexperience becomes knowledge. um, It becomes patterns. It becomes, you know, all of these pattern recognition, things that we, we can use, but the embarrassment is also this, you know, there's, we go into these situations and we do something and then we're like, oh, whoa, like I'm never going to do that again. Or, you know, we, we, we approach a situation in one way and then there's backlash. And then we're, we're sort of scared to then even toe the line again because, you know, we're, oh, like that was, that just left me with this unsettling feeling or, you know, that's the sort of embarrassment that I'm, I'm also talking about, right? This for whatever reason, we go into situations and there are these instances where we can't quite put our finger on what it was, but there's something that's still nagging at us or there's something that's still uncomfortable or didn't quite sit well. And we then avoid that, right? Rather than like, we just try and not put ourselves in those situations again rather than explicitly putting ourselves in that situation again or a similar type of situation so we can figure out like what exactly was nagging at us what was it that didn't quite sit well that's when we try that's when we're able to turn situations and really hone our ability to turn challenges and obstacles and flip them around into our favor someone once said something to me which really resonated and gives a kind of an example of what I mean by this. He said, learn to be really, learn to be good at uncomfortable silence. And I wasn't quite sure what he meant by that right away. But, you know, as I sort of thought about that more and more, it's like we get into conversations or we're interacting with someone and for whatever reason, either because we don't like to, we don't like conflict, we're conflict avoidant, or because we are people pleasers, or because we are trying to, you know, see some sort of outcome, we try, we start to rush, and we we're not okay with like that silence or that uncomfortableness. And when you can be okay with that three to five seconds of uncomfortable silence, you learn things like why am I uncomfortable at that moment in time? What is it about that? Was it something that that person said? Is it something that I'm thinking based on what that person said? Is it something that's in that, you know, so we, we, we start to, we, we, we start to gain an intuition around ourselves and our interactions with other people 
when, when we put ourselves in situations like that. Wow. So that advice was given to you and that wasn't even sales advice. That was just general advice. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, because I think I, I, you know, it's, I rush, there's like things that I would be really excited about something, for example, and I would botch it because I would rush into it or, you know, to kind of give more flavor to this. Um, you know, I've, I've found that, um, something that I talk a lot about is, um, both with my students as well as in, um, some of my research is this difference between advocacy and inquiry. So when we go into situations where we're trying to prove somebody wrong or we're going into a situation that's really, really important to us and we want that other person to see our point of view because we're either trying to convince them of something or it's just something that's so critical that that person understands, we prepare a lot and we think a lot about all of the best arguments that we could bring to the table. And we have you know, a list of all of these arguments in our head. And then we approach that other person and we're like, here are the 10 things that you have to know. And here are the 10 ways that I'm going to convince you that like my way is the best and that you need to think about these things. And it's especially when we care a lot that we do that. But those are the situations in which it's actually the most damaging to go in there so strongly with like really good points. Because the other person also has really good points in their head about their stance and their opinions. And, you know, it's, it's this, it becomes this very confrontational, implicitly confrontational, but still confrontational type of scenario where if you go in with more of an inquiry point of view, um, you know, asking questions, right? Things like, help me understand you know, how we got to where we are now, or walk me through, you know, you're, you're sort of asking more of those inquiry sort of things. And, you know, some of my students that are listening to this will chuckle because I'm always, you know, when talking about when, um, when, when we, when we misinterpret something that somebody says, or, you know, we, when we go back to an inquiry frame of mind, um, or again, when we're trying to convince somebody of something, when we go to this inquiry, it works so much better because it allows you to have an overlap in understanding from which to then, you know, subtly and easily and in a more benign fashion, talk about the points of disagreement. Right. So let me ask you this question, Laura. You mentioned rushing. Um, I'm notorious for rushing in many different situations, <laughs> but I feel like that's almost because of my environment. So my question to you before I tell you what I mean by that is where were you born? Like where were you born and raised? Yeah. So, I, um, so I'm Taiwanese American. I have dual citizenship um, and I pretty much toggled be- between Taiwan and uh, the United States. So, um, you know, I don't know. So I think a lot of um, in terms of rushing, maybe that I'm that I was always sort of falling or feeling in between to some extent. Like I was, I have these multiple identities, and I'm never American enough for the when I'm in Taiwan, and I'm never um, Taiwanese. You know, sorry, I'm never I'm never Taiwanese enough when I'm in Taiwan, and I'm never American enough when I'm in America. And it's sort of this in-between um, type of environment. It's also this, this tension, this pull between, you know, all of the cultural things in Taiwan versus all of the cultural things in the United States. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if that's sort of the, where, where it comes from. But I think part of it is also just when I really care about something passionately, um, I'm also impatient, as many of us are. Uh, and so, you know, one of the really important things is to understand, you know, why are we impatient? Why do we care about this so much? And that can be an asset. It doesn't have to be uh, rushing and being impatient doesn't have to be seen as something negative. 
Right. That's huge. So I was going to say my rushing personally comes from being a New Yorker. I mean, I'm born and raised here 27 years. Like, you know, the, the energy in this city is insane to say the least. And everything is so on demand. And I feel like that has a drastic impact on it. But it's interesting that you bring up the point of passion, right? I mean, every time I'm, pa- and this is way bigger than business too. I mean, even in relationships, um, if, if I'm sitting across from someone and, you know, I have those premeditative thoughts that you were mentioning earlier, it's uh, really eye-opening when you, when you know, frame it this way. So I definitely appreciate your perspective on this. And moving forward, we got deep, like really quick. I want to learn more about the beginning stages of Laura in the sense of like before a professor, um, before investment banking and consulting and management, all of that stuff. Yeah. Who was Laura in well, high school? Well, you know, it's funny because um, a lot of my childhood was in New Jersey. So we have that in common, you know, the <laughs> so I, I grew up in New Jersey. Um, high school was in New Jersey. Um, and you know, I, I, it's funny because I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up (laughs) to some extent. And so when you talk about like, who was Laura before, um, before being a professor, um, you know, I, I struggled, I think throughout my life with, with not really knowing what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be when I grew up. There was always, I always had those, the, a couple of friends who were like, I've wanted to be, you know, I've known that I've wanted to be a lawyer since I was five years old and I was argumentative with my parents or I've known that I've wanted to be, you know, such and such since I was two years old and I was just never was was that. Um, I don't think I was exposed to a lot of different careers, you know? And so for a long period of time, um, I was like, okay, I think, I guess I'll be a teacher. You know, I guess I'll be like a fifth grade teacher. Cause that's what I, that's what I saw. And that's what I, um, sort of knew. Um, I knew that I was, um, you know, good at things. I knew I was good at school. <laughs> It sounds so, I mean, there's probably some of your listeners are like rolling their eyes. <laughs> she was good at school. Well, I mean, I was, I loved math. I was really good at math. I was really good at school. And like, you know, you have to forgive me because I wasn't really good at anything else. Like I was really bad at sports. I was really shy, not good with people, so timid. My relatives would joke that I was like a shy kitten that would be afraid to come out, except where when you put out like a bowl of milk or something. I mean, I so so you have to allow me that I was good at school without without looking down on me. Um, but it was like, I just, I liked how it was like organized and, and I didn't have to think, I just sort of, you know, people told me what to do, but at some point, you know, it, it, it's flipped. And I, and I realized that like, I was interested in a lot of things and part of, you know, being exposed to lots of subjects in school meant that I was interested in a lot of different subjects. And I just didn't know what I, what I wanted to do. So I ended up majoring, um, in, I was majored in engineering because um, I didn't really know what else to to major in. And my family was sort of like, okay, well, if you're good at math, then go into engineering. And so I did and realized that I actually, in fact, was not very good at it. Um, I brute forced my way through a lot of the engineering curriculum. I was electrical engineer. I remember um, one of my professors, um, the first year of university saying to all of us, there was only four women in electrical engineering. And he said to us in that class, um, yeah. And I mean, most of you already know what electrical engineering is, right? Because you have, you've, you've tried sticking your fingers in outlets and you've taken apart computers. And I remember thinking, no, I never stuck my finger in outlet. I was always told not to. Um, and no, I've never taken apart a computer because I've never had a computer. Um, this was like back in the days where not everyone had computers. And I just, you know, came from a really conservative and, um, you know, I didn't, didn't have, you know, those sorts of things. And so um, I actually failed my very first engineering exam and was devastated and was like, oh my gosh, I don't know 
what I'm, what I'm supposed to do. So, um, so needless to say, it was not an easy path, but I did graduate with an engineering degree. Um, and then I went to go work. My first job out of college was as an engineer because that was all that I was trained to do. But very quickly, um, I got pulled onto a technical marketing team, somebody who could translate between um, what was happening with the R&D and the engineers and the marketing and sales team. And they were like, oh, wow, you can actually, like you're somebody who can really translate between the two. And I fell in love with the people side of things um, and started really getting confidence that I could interact with people and that I, um, you know, had a skill set there. Um, and it was something that I had never learned a lot about was the, the people side of things. So um, ended up going to business school, worked with a professor there in doing some research and was opened up to this whole different world. But um, before I went into academia, I actually, um, after business school, I went into investment banking because I had all of these student loans that I had to pay off. And so I asked all of my MBA classmates, like, what's the quickest way to pay off student loans? And they all said, go into investment banking. And so, um, and so actually they said, go into iBanking. And at one point I said, I banking. Everyone keeps saying I banking. I'm like this internet banking thing must be really big. Um, <laughs> I had no idea that it was investment banking, but I did, and so found my way. So, so I have to tell you the reason I made that whole Harvard comment in the beginning is because I'm the complete opposite of you. I I absolutely sucked at school. Uh, I, I was just like totally dragged along because of my athletic abilities. Until- yeah, you would have paid no attention to me at all in high school, basically. <laughs> well, see, I always ask these questions because I want to know if I would have been hanging out with the individual that I'm interviewing, like back in the day, you know, like now it's a whole different story, but, um, yeah, yeah. I was the complete opposite, but I have to ask, you know, you mentioned essentially like not knowing what you want to be when you grow up. And uh-huh. my, my opinion on this is like, that's totally cool because as you've alluded to multiple times and many of our guests say the same thing, it's like our definitions of success are always changing. We're always changing. So like, I think that's a good thing that like, we don't know what we want to be. Yeah, when we grow I up. think so. I mean, I think it's, 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 we want it to evolve, right? The, the most happy, most successful people are the ones who do evolve and complete and and continue to change and not only change who they are and change the way that they see themselves and others, but also change their definition of success. So I think it's really, um, it's so, and, and, you know, change their definition of, of, um, the things that they're interested in. I mean, now I never thought that, you know, I, I mentioned how unathletic I was, but like, you know, a couple of years ago I started running marathons and I was like, uh, well, started with a half marathon, I should be clear. But I was like, you know, I never thought that I would enjoy running. I was always that person who was like, you know, getting asthma and when I had to run more than, I, although I was a cheerleader in high school. So we might have hung out a little bit, which, <laughs> which is so opposite from what you, what people would have expected. But it was, you know, my, so there was some, there were some hints of, um, of provoca- like me being a provocative person back then, my, my mother said, you know, there's one thing I forbid you from doing and it's the, that thing is being a cheerleader. And so I was like, oh, okay. And so I wanted to see if I could make the cheerleading squad. And so, and, and so I did. Um, it also reminds me of, um, of Gary Vaynerchuk, who is, um, who's, who's in New York and he and I, so Gary Vaynerchuk is the CEO and founder of VaynerMedia. Um, and he and I went to high school together. Really? And, yes. And he's this super, super successful and super amazing entrepreneur who, um, didn't do very well in school. And, um, and we, we didn't really know each other very well in high school because we hung out in totally different groups. He was also a couple years older than me. Um, but I knew his younger sister. Um, and, uh, and we, we, we laugh about that. We laugh about how, you know, he was getting C's and D's and trading baseball cards and starting little companies. And, um, and, and just our, our shared high school experiences. And then now sort of looking back and seeing, uh, the paths that we've taken. So that is honestly like such a small world when you think about it. So I, I've worked with Gary, um, on numerous different projects. When I was working with Damon John, we collaborated on, on multiple things cause him and Damon are really cool. And, ah, um, yeah. 
Yeah, recently I just built a library here in my local community and Gary donated a whole bunch of books. So um, oh, very, awesome. very familiar. Yeah, yeah very yeah. cool it, stuff. It's really cool. And um, and it's just, it's really kind of, um, it's it's one of those things like we, it was like a really small public school in the middle of nowhere. And, and so, you know, you wouldn't ever expect that you would... Um, end up linking back up with, with somebody that you went to high school with. So, yeah. Well, I think that goes to show and allude to the power of networking. Like one thing I always say um, when I'm speaking or things of that nature, specifically at colleges and universities, because that's really my realm. It's like, you never know who's sitting next to you. Right. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, I mean, I went to a small school. I went to a city university of New York. So it's like a public school. It's not a big private school or anything like that, but like you are in such a closed environment and you need to be taking such advantage of that, whether you're in a club or even in class, like I can't tell you how many times I was in class early in my college you know, my collegiate days and took me seven years to graduate college, by the way. Um, so like early on, I was just like going with the flow. Like I didn't care to talk to anyone. And the next thing you know, like things like that happen where, you know, you're in class with, or, you know, you know, Gary V and individuals like that. You could be sitting next to the next Michelle Obama or whomever, right? It's, it's really incredible. Yeah, it's incredible. And it's also really sort of neat that, you know, as we talk about evolving and changing and growing, that you you form these connections with people way later and you can laugh about like wow we were like so different back then but yet you can get on so well with that person at the moment right so like you and i are able to have this really interesting conversation about what defines success and all these things but you know i'd venture to guess that 20 years ago or 30 years ago you and i would be having very different types of conversations and engaging with each other in really different ways. And so, you know, it's when you are able to understand this space in between you, somebody else, the perceptions that they have of you, the perceptions that you have of them, and this guiding process that, that, that's happening all the time, that's when the really, that's when the beauty, that's when, you know, when, when really great things sort of emerge. A hundred percent. So let me ask you this, Laura, what do you feel like makes up a successful person? And again, this is going to come from your perspective and that's exactly what I want, but I'm asking in regards to like qualities and traits and characteristics. And I could sit here and guess, but I'd rather just ask you, I mean, based off this conversation, I think I know a few, but I'm just really curious what you have to say on that. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, there's, there's probably a couple of traits that I think for me, anyways, loyalty and compassion are number, like those are at the top, top. So like, I am huge on loyalty in terms of, um, you know, people that you can trust that they go by their word. Um, they're people who have, people's best interests at heart. Um, they're not the type of people who um, will, for their own gain, you know, cut somebody else off or, you know, there are, I, I would say the people that I respect the least in the world are, are those who um, are willing to make somebody else somebody else, impact somebody else's life in a negative way, no matter how little that might be for their own personal gain. I truly believe that there is enough richness and wealth and rewards in this, in this world um, that you can succeed without needing to impact somebody else's, you know, with, without negatively impacting somebody else. And so that sort of loyalty and integrity um, and compassion is, is top, top for me. Um, you know, and I also, I also really respect people who have a humility. And when I say humility, it's humility, I feel, also comes with an internal confidence. Humility is not the opposite of, of being confident in yourself. When you're humble, it's because you're so confident in yourself that you don't need to do any posturing or catering or, or other things. You can be vulnerable and you can, you can be revealing the, the needs and the wants that you have unapologetically while knowing that you're going to go for those things without impacting other people in a negative way. Um, I think that's probably the, you know, if I had to quintessentially in, encapsulate that in some way. Um, but there's so many other things that I think define um, people, you know, that 
like I think hard work is so important, but I often say that hard work doesn't always speak for itself. And hard work, I will never say that hard work isn't critical, but hard work alone isn't enough. There's lots of times when hard work leaves us frustrated, right? You can take two different people who work equally as hard and one will achieve more success uh, than the other inevitably. And it's because our world is so dominated by signals and perceptions and the stereotypes of others. And so when we're able to flip those stereotypes and obstacles in our favor, that's when we can unapologetically, but also in a really holistic way, find and create our own advantages and find and create our own, our own edge. Something that I has always stuck with me um, is that, you know, there's, there's this tendency for us to covet and be envious of what other people have, right? We see the success that somebody else has achieved. We see um, their gloried past and future. And, and it's so easy to fall into, you know, that person has that and I want that. And I feel this sort of envy or, or jealousy. And, and something that I once heard was that, that, that really stuck with me is that you don't have permission to be envious of what somebody else has or what somebody else has achieved unless you're willing to trade places with them entirely. Meaning you can't, you can't covet the fact that they, you know, are, um, you know, I don't know, a multimillionaire entrepreneur who seems to have really cracked the code on something unless and if you want that, you can still strive for that, but you can't be envious and jealous and, and put yourself down unless you're willing to trade places with that person. All of the things that got that person there, his or her traits, his or her experiences, his or her background, the, the weaknesses that that person has, the trials and tribulations that that person has, unless you're willing to assume all of those things, you can't just cherry pick the successes that somebody else has without understanding the full picture. And that's really helped me um, think through, um, you know, the type of person that I want to be, the type of person that I want my students to be, the types of messages that I try and instill in the classroom um, and in, in everything that I do to the extent possible. Um, and it's not always easy, but when I try and keep that in mind, um, I think it's, it, 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 it's just an important piece of, of what I do. Laura, literally at this rate, I'm going to be able to talk to you for the rest of the day. <laughs> like I love, I literally love what you're saying here. So I want to backtrack just a little bit. And I have this question about what you were alluding to in regards to loyalty, right? You yeah. said that, you know, you don't want to be around people that will cut you off for their own gains. So how do you spot those people? And I totally get what you're saying here, right? Those people have more so a scarcity mindset versus an abundance mindset. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily believe in a win-win world. But at the same time, people could really fake it, right? Oh, yeah. And oh, so yeah. What do you feel like are the signs to be able to identify <laughs> who that type of person is? Man, this is like this is like the question. I mean, because I have I have gotten burned so many times and every time I'm like, what didn't I see? Like what didn't I what didn't I notice? What are the signs? You know, I always go back and I'm like, you know what, there was I had this like feeling, but I don't know if it's just now like I'm retrospectively rationalizing. Um, this is, it's so hard. You know, it's it, part of it is trusting your gut, but then it goes back to the question like, and I do a lot of research on intuition and gut feel. And it goes back to this question of like, can you hone your gut feel? Can you hone your intuition? So there is this, this element of like trusting your gut, but you know, I've made mistakes. I've thought that my, you know, I've sort of gone with my gut and my gut has been wrong in some instances and in other instances it's been right. So then I'm like, is this just luck? What I do, what I do now, like when I find, you know, some of, some of the, some of my co-authors, my amazing, amazing, you know, when you find a great co-author or a great collaborator on something, they're like gold. You hold on to them, right? You work with them and you continue to work with them and you develop that. And, you know, and I've been lucky enough to have some of those where that I've continued to 
um, that we will work together again and again and again. Um, but, you know, identify how do you know that's such a tricky thing because we all, we, I think we all have situations where we've been, where we've been burned. The other piece of that is not letting it keep you bitter. And that's really hard as well, because especially when we've, we've been burned in, on, on a, in a situation, like that's when we're so bitter. We're like jaded and we're like, we don't ever want to trust someone ever again. Um, and you know, my mantra is, you know, is this making me bitter or is this making me better? Right. right. You have to let it make you better, not bitter. And you have to put that aside and set it aside to the best to, to the best of your ability as, as much as you can. Um, but, but it is really, it is really not easy. Um, look, I think just trusting yourself and looking for signals and, and continuing to try to hone that, that gut feel. And what my research sort of shows is that in some instances, it's, it's so contextual, right? In some cases, you really want to be very, very analytical, you want to be you want to be looking for the hard data you want to be really really analytical in other situations it's actually better to be really intuitive and driven by your gut feelings and part of part of you know that self awareness and part of that intuition is knowing in which contexts you want to be more analytical and in which contexts you should be more intuitive um, and you know, that, that, that sort of all goes, goes into it and it can be learned. Um, but, but it takes time to kind of develop those patterns and that experience, uh, to, to be able to do so. Cause you know, you flip one variable, you change one thing and everything switches, right? You change the industry that you're operating in and everything switches. You change the, the, the makeup of the people that you're interacting with and everything changes. Right. That is huge. Listen, I absolutely love your perspective. And before we run out of time, I want to talk about your new book. Like, this is why we're here, right? I want to amplify this message. But like I said, I could ask you a million and one questions about what we were just talking about. So walk us through the title and the subtitle choice of this new book, which is called Edge, Turning Adversity into Advantage. Absolutely. I mean, we've talked, we've, we've touched upon a lot of the themes of the book already, which, um, which has been really, you know, really fun talking to you about. Um, the book is called Edge, as you mentioned, and it's, the main premise of it is that, you know, some people naturally have an advantage and other people have to create one for themselves. And we talked a little bit already about, you know, this, this aspect of hard work, um, but we're taught from a very young age that success is about hard work, but hard work doesn't always speak for itself because it is about those signals and perceptions and stereotypes. And so the book is about how we can flip those perceptions and stereotypes in our favor to create our own edge. That's the turning adversity into an, an advantage. In any situation, we're going to, lots of situations, we're going to face obstacles and adversity. We're going to be underestimated. How do we flip that in our favor so that we can create an advantage and an edge for ourselves? And edge actually stands for the framework that I've developed through my research. So you gain an edge by understanding the E, which is how you enrich so that's what value do you provide? What are the strengths? Trusting your strengths and also your alleged weaknesses. But how do you enrich? What is that? That's that E. The D is delight. How do you delight people? How do you go into situations and really surprise them and have them pay attention to you um, so that when you might not belong to the right groups or you might not necessarily be someone in those in groups that you nevertheless get those opportunities to show how you enrich and provide value. The G is for guide, which is continuing to guide those perceptions. Um, it's not that you are done once you have the opportunity to show how you enrich. You have to continue to guide how they see you, um, your strengths and your weaknesses, your trajectory. And, you know, a really quick sort of sidebar on this is that sometimes I talk about this guide piece and it almost sounds like it's this like strategic, like, you know, manipulative being managing impressions kind of thing. But what I tell people is that it's not something that, you know, has to leave us feeling, you know, gross. Because sometimes when we say, when we, when we talk about it, it feels like we're manipulative and being gross about it. But it's, um, you know, people are going to have an impression of you 
whether you guide them to something or not. And so if they have a first impression of you and it's wrong, you have a much bigger hurdle trying to then change that perception of who you authentically are than if you guide that message from the very beginning and show them that angle, that angle of your diamond that allows them to resonate most with who you are and see that, see the shine, see that light that you're, you're really bringing. So the more authentic you are, the more you're able to guide. And the more you guide, the more they're going to see who you are authentically. So it's actually the opposite of something strategic or, or manipulative. It's actually something that's really um, enables that human interaction in a much, um, in a much better way. And, I love that. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and then finally, the last E of edge um, is effort, effort and hard work, because hard work comes last. We often think that hard work comes first, that if we put in the hard work, the success will follow. But in fact, when you think about how you enrich and delight and guide and then put in the hard work and, and, and think about how you in, put in that effort, your hard work works harder for you. So that's sort of how you gain, that's how you create and gain an edge. Um, And that's what the book is about. It's about this perspective and it's about strategies that you can think about for um, understanding how you enrich and how you can delight, guide, and make your effort go further. I love that. So let me ask you this, and I don't want this question to come off the wrong way, but if you were to sell someone on buying this book based off of one of the adversities you faced in life, so let's get personal. Like, What is like uh, an adversity that you're willing to share here with us today that would say, okay, wow, Like, let, let me dive into this book? <laughs> so this is so funny because I have had so much adversity and I tell a lot of them in the book. <laughs> And I'm going to, I'm going to give you one today. I'm going to give you one now. But what I want to say is that I didn't intend to share as much of my personal experience as ended up in the book. It's really funny because when I was writing the book, the first thing I sort of did was, you know, it was like, I just tried to get 80,000 words down on paper um, because I wanted to get the first draft done. And so I, and I did that. I got the 80,000 words done and I figured we'd go through, you know, you know, my editor and my publisher, we would go through, you know, this editing process, which we did. We went through months of editing and I probably rewrote the book multiple times from scratch. Um, but in that editing process, I kind of figured a lot of these really revealing things would get edited out. And, you know, three or four months later, I'm reading the final manuscript. And it's the first time that I was reading the manuscript from the eyes of a reader rather than from the eyes of a writer and realizing, oh my gosh, that story is still in the book. Like that very revealing personal story (laughs) is, is still in the book. And so there are like all of these stories about my life and people that I know. Um, and it's different from a typical business school book, business professor written book, because I don't have a ton of examples of super famous, well-known people. Um, because what I, what I really, when I was writing the book was thinking like, this is a book about turning adversity into advantage. And yes, some of those super famous people have had adversity, but that's not the type of adversity that I always want to highlight. You know, I want to highlight the, the stories of the ordinary people who have faced ordinary types of adversity and have been able to flip those in their favor to create their edge. So I do have stories about some famous people, like I, I have a story about Elon Musk. I have a story about Marai Nagasu. Um, I have a story about, you know, Dave Dahl, the, the CEO of um, Dave's Killer Bread. I have a story about Gary Vee. But I also, just as, just as many of stories, uh, many of those stories as I do about, you know, Peter, you know, or Antonia, who was a student of mine, or Beatrice, who was, who grew up in a small town in Spain, um, or Osama, a French Lebanese man, um, who is an entrepreneur, you know, like these sorts of stories, those are the normal types of, types of stories. Um, so do you still want a story of, of, about me or is that more than enough? That you? <laughs> well, that's amazing. But yes, yes. I still want to hear one about you specifically, if you don't mind sharing. Sure, sure. So I'll take it back to, you know, you know, it'll, I'll, I'll segue this back into when I said that I was um, really 
math was like my thing in high school. Um, so, you know, the, one of the most painful memories that I have from my childhood is that I had this teacher, this math teacher that I adored. Um, and I had him for multiple years because, you know, I'm a product of the public school and they didn't have, you know, lots of teachers to go around. So we would have teachers that we would have for multiple years. And so I had this teacher for math for two or three years in a row. And he did this amazing thing where if you got a perfect test, like a 100% on a test, um, you would have to, you would get a gold star. And it wasn't just a gold star that was like a sticker on your test paper. And it couldn't be a quiz. It had to be like a full-fledged test. But if you got a 100%, a perfect test, you would get the mother of all stars. It was like, you know, 12 inches by 12 inches, maybe bigger. It was wrapped in gold paper and like gold shiny paper. It had your name meticulously placed on it in, um, you know, like almost looked like it was engraved, but it was like these sticker things that he would put on. And then it would go um, on the wall above the blackboard and it would stay there for the entire year. So you'd have this gold star with your name on it. And over the course of the year, there might only be like five to seven of those um, in the whole year. And, you know, because I <laughs> loved math so much, I should stop saying that because everyone's going to, you know, that's going to be like my new tagline. <laughs> 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 She's good at math. Um, but, you know, it was like my goal to get one of these, one of these, these stars. And, um, and I came really, really close multiple times. and. There was one particular test where I had gotten a 99. There was this other girl in the class, um, Elizabeth, who probably out of seven in a year, she was she would get four or five of them, you know. And she, um, I remember on that one test, she had gotten a 100%, and she had gotten a gold star. We would come into the classroom and we would look up at the wall and we'd be like, "Oh, somebody got a hundred. And so Elizabeth's name was on that star. And I looked at my test, and I had gotten a 99. And she had gotten a hundred. And when I looked at what I had gotten wrong, there was a problem where it was like two X equals 14. And I had written X equals 14 over two X equals seven. And she had written X equals 14 over two, which equals seven over one, which equals seven. And I had gotten a point taken off because I hadn't, written that extra step of 14 over two equals seven over one equals seven. So even though I was, you know, I had gotten the answer, I had gotten one point taken off and this had happened, you know, multiple times. And I finally had the bravery to go up to my teacher and say, you know, Hey, like, you know, in my timid way, like, isn't this right? And then explained but at that, that moment, I decided that I was no longer good at math and that I didn't want to be a math teacher anymore. And it was this sort of moment, this moment of recognition that I didn't quite, I hadn't put my finger on it yet, but I think it's when I realized that hard work doesn't work the same for everyone. Right. And it's also when I realized that life rhymes And when I say life rhymes, meaning when people perceive us in a certain way, other people down the line will also perceive us in that way, or we will have experiences that mirror those original sort of experiences. And way later, um, when I was in college, I took this university writing course and it was a required course and we had to write papers. And on my very first paper, um, I got you know, a not great grade. And I remember going to the professor and asking him why I got that grade. And he said, oh, well, it's because you don't really speak English. It's fine. You'll improve as the semester goes on. You know, people who don't speak English well, this happens. And I remember thinking like, but I do speak English. (laughs) I do. And it was like that feeling again that same sort of feeling. And so the next essay, I wrote this kind of tongue-in-cheek essay around how even though English wasn't my native language, I was going to strive and da-da-da, like all these sort of things. And that was like guiding those perceptions of, and he, 
he didn't see any of the sarcasm in it, but my grade went up. And, you know, it's, it's those sorts of situations that I think really make a difference. And I, and I will say one thing though, um, to kind of end this is that that teacher, that math teacher to this day is the best teacher that I've ever had. One of the best teachers ever, for sure the best math teacher that I've ever had. And it just goes to show that things are complicated, right? We, we can't just say, you know, thing, you know, he may or may, may have biased or discriminated or because I learned more from him than I learned from any other math teacher. And so I give him a lot of credit for that. And so we still do. It's tricky when we say like we want to create these, that we need to work on things structurally and that we need to be able to fix things structurally. We need to be able to fix things both from the outside in as well as the inside out. Right. Um, and, and that's also a message of, 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 a lot of, my, of a lot of my work and my projects. If there was one thing that you wanted people to take away from this book, what do you want that one thing to be and why? That they can be empowered even within an imperfect system, even with this myth of meritocracy, that they're empowered to flip things in their favor, um, that they can unapologetically flip things and create their own edge. Right. That's huge. I love that. I love that. So now we come down to the point of the episode where I have some questions that are, again, very personal lore. And I'm really excited to ask you this. The first one is, what is a piece of advice that you didn't want to hear at the time it was given to you, but proved to be true over time? And I can give you examples. This is the one that stumps people, by the way. Yeah, no, ask and try. Those are two different pieces of advice, but they're both one word one word pieces of advice. The first is ask. It's so hard to sometimes ask because we're afraid of what the answer is going to be. Um, and so the first is just ask. The second is try. You never know what you can accomplish if you try. And I think putting those two together, ask and try, is something that I always knew I should do. But selectively used that advice when it was easier. So that's probably, <laughs> that's probably the, um, the one that is hardest to, to, that has been hardest to stomach. Right. I mean, listen, if we don't do either of those, we'll never know, right? Those two words right there have answers embedded within them. Yeah. You know, when it comes down to asking, when it comes down to actually trying something, yep. that's absolutely huge. So I appreciate you sharing that. Yeah. Now, um, I mean, I'm sure you've was been that doing the question th- that stumps people. That was. Oh, that wasn't that bad. I think <laughs> that was. Yeah, I mean, I have some people that are like literally take like five minutes. They're like, "Hey, like, I need to answer this." Like, they get competitive about it. They're like, "I need to answer this." <laughs> well, now I feel like I need to get competitive and I need to come up with another one. <laughs> well, let me ask you some more questions. All right, so next next question for you. I know you're probably doing a ton of podcasting around the book, and listen, I mean, you you have students, so I'm sure they ask you a bunch of questions as well. What's a question you wished more people would ask you, and how would you? answer it? Hmm. So I don't have the, so the question would be something around like, you know, people ask sort of what's the solution or like, what's the recipe? So I don't know if I have the question itself completely articulated, but the answer is, is around, you know, so what I mean by this is a lot of times we want an answer rather than a perspective. And this book is very much a perspective because there is no answer, right? There is no recipe for gaining an edge because it's so personal. There's not like, here are the 10 steps that you take to gain an edge because it's so much about like who you are and what you see in yourself, um, who you're interacting with, what they're perspectives and backgrounds and experiences were like, how that intermeshes with yours. So I would say it would be something along those lines. Um, Another question that could, I I don't know if I'm answering your question completely, but a question that my, one of my students asked me that really sort of stumped me. um, And I continue to think about, um, this student's name is Cooper, just to give Cooper a shout out. But um, 
but he said, when do we stop or when do we know or when should we stop going for the but first? What I mean by that and what he meant by that is we have lots of things that we want to achieve in our lives, but first we want to do this. Uh. We, we have this goal and we want to achieve this, but first I need to take care of this. Or I'm going to be able to do all these really amazing things, but first I need to get these credentials. And these but firsts sort of keep adding up. And when Cooper asked me this question around like, how do we think about these bus but firsts? How do we manage that? How do we stay true to ourselves? How do we, like, it was something that I would love if more people would ask and that more people would think about and that we would have lots more dialogue around this because I think that gets at what is your definition of success? And, and um, so I think that's a great question. So I sort of answered a qu your question by giving you a question. <laughs> well, that's huge. And I, I honestly really appreciate you sharing that because I mean, I'm sure that there's a ton of individuals and listen, this is including myself that either still say that have said that or will say that at some point in their life. Right. So it's mm -hmm. definitely something to think about. Now, Laura, last question for you if you could only give one piece of universal advice for the rest of your life, what would that be? Whoa, this one's harder than that first one. <laughs> one piece of universal advice. So hard when you make me only give. Now you know how long-winded I am. One is so hard to probably keep the main thing the main thing. Break that down for me. What does that mean? Once you figure out what the main thing for you is, like what is your thing, don't lose sight of that. And there's going to be other things that you have to focus your attention on or that might take you temporarily away from that. But keep that main thing, the main thing. So I think, you know, sort of to shed some light on, on this, you know, there's sort of this, this notion of, once you realize that it's like, how do you figure out there's going to be ups and downs. There's always going to be downs. How do you keep your eye on the prize? Whether your prize is your family, your mission, your vision. Um, how do you, it's like balancing all of the other complicated pieces of what we have to manage, but keeping that essence of you, the essence. Right. I'm That's sort of huge. cheating because I want to like have multiple pieces of advice all in one and that <laughs> sort of encompasses it. But yeah, I would have to say something along, along those lines. I love that. And it is most definitely appreciated. There's no cheating here, by the way. You could have gave me two. I wouldn't have told you you failed. Or I wouldn't have given you a 99. I would have gave you the gold star regardless. Oh, but, uh, yeah, I'm over <laughs> it. I'm over it. <laughs> Laura, listen, I very much so appreciate it. I'm going to have all of your social links in the show notes of this episode as well as where they can get the book. Um, but question for you, where are you hanging out most on social? Because I have an amazing community here that you know these individuals like to connect with the people that we bring on this show. So I'm sure you're going to have people wanted to hit you up where can they find you like where are you hanging out the most yeah so i probably am the best i'm the worst at instagram but i'm trying really hard uh, my students are helping me with that they're like constantly sending me like tips like hey you know you can like um you know so um so my instagram is laura huang LA. So my first name, last name, and then LA at the end. Uh, my Twitter is the same handle. I'm much better at Twitter than Instagram. Um, and then I'm also on LinkedIn. Um, I just um, recently created a Facebook authors page. So right now I only have two followers on um, my, my Facebook author page. And then I'm also on, I have one video on TikTok. I was going <laughs> to say, are you on TikTok? That's what I thought you were getting at. <laughs> I have one video on TikTok, um, but I'm on, I'm on all, all of them. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. Um, but like I said, like Twitter is the one that I, you know, probably have the most content linked in a little bit. And then Instagram is my aspirational. 
I love that. Laura, listen, I appreciate it. This was such a blast. Uh, you know, you answered all the questions so well and you spurred even more questions. I absolutely love conversations like this. So again, thank you for joining us. Sure, thanks. Good luck to you and stay in touch. Ladies and gentlemen, there you have it directly from our friend Laura. Now, first and foremost, as always, I have to ask to make sure you are connecting with Laura on social. All of her social links, including the TikTok, can be found in the show notes of this episode. On top of that, you can also find the link to her brand new book, Edge, which is out now in the show notes of this episode as well, especially if you are looking to turn your adversity into an advantage. And hey, if you're tuned into a podcast, I'm pretty damn sure that is exactly what you're looking to do. So make sure you check out all of the social links and the link to get the book in the show notes of this episode. As always, on top of what was just mentioned, there are multiple points that I like to break down after each episode, specifically ones that resonate with me on a super high level. Now, of course, there's way more than three but I drilled it down to three just for the sake of respecting your time here. The first one being be yourselves plural versus be yourself singular, meaning Laura compared us to diamonds. We're multifaceted. We have different angles to us. We have different components to us, right? We are literally multifaceted individuals. So we need to own that. It's not about being yourself. It's about being yourselves. And I really, really appreciate and respect the fact that she brought that up because it was the first time I've ever heard that perspective in 27 years of life. So seriously, that it rang bells in my mind. And to that point, there is no need for us to downsize who we truly are. So make sure you are staying true to yourselves and not necessarily yourself. Second, the signs to know someone's true colors. We were talking about loyalty and finding out ways to identify who is potentially someone that will essentially throw you under a bus for their own gain, right? And Laura's first response was about gut feel and oftentimes we'll ignore that gut feel or that intuition however you want to refer to it as but at the end of the day it is something that we should take into consideration more often than not it's true that we have a brain in our gut um, which is more so along the lines of digestive systems and food and things of that nature but my gut really isn't wrong all too often so i want to kind of Put it on you to say, hey, trust your gut in these situations and not letting any gut being wrong or your intuition being wrong make you bitter. Just let it make you better, as Laura mentioned. Now, number three, gain and edge. What does edge stand for? And this is all about Laura's new book. Enrich, meaning give value, provide value. Delight, which is surprise them with your gifts and all of that good stuff. Guide individuals to elaborate and allude to the characteristics and the individual that you truly want to be perceived as in life, which is huge. I talk about that all the time when it comes to personal branding. And the last, E, edge, for effort. This is where effort and hard work comes. So again, edge is broken down to enrich, delight, guide, and edge. I absolutely love that. And Laura, I appreciate you sharing that with all of us today. So again, make sure you are connecting with Laura on social. Her book is out now. You can find it in the show notes of this episode. Those three points, be yourselves versus being yourself, the signs to know someone's true color which really comes down to gut feel and potentially a few other things if you want to really get deep on that and gaining an edge, making sure that you are turning your adversity into advantage. If you found this episode to be of value, actually, I should say, as mentioned way earlier in the show, when you have found this episode to be of value, make sure you are sharing it with your inner circle, your mastermind, your MySpace top eight, all of that good stuff. Drop us a rating and review if you are tuned in from Apple. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.